0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another bo- Boca podcast. Wow, I'm fumbling over my words. Boca podcast episode. Uh, and I have Brian Capricci on the other side laughing at me already. So this is a good start to the, <laughs> to the podcast episode. Brian, thanks for hanging out with me in the Boca podcast community today.
1: Hey Nathan, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'd say it's a pleasure to be on the other side of the microphone, but I'm I'm still on the same side of the microphone, just the other side of the interview, I suppose.
0: Well, and, and a fancy microphone at that. We were so to break the fourth wall a little bit for those of you listening in. Um, we were we were chatting. We were doing tech talk really before we got started. Uh, Brian was showing me his setup there with a beautiful mic and and so forth. And, and in fact, a teleprompter, which is I think you're like you're upping the ante way way above what I'd even considered. As we work on getting ready to produce a, a video version of the Boca Podcast, but um, Brian was a huge help to me today already. So, th- shout out to Brian! Thanks, Brian, for your help already. We can just shut down the podcast now, and
1: and that's like, it. We're done. Somebody Thank you, got some value. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, we're gonna we're gonna add a bunch of value to the lives of our listeners. And and I, this may sound, I, I know, I run the risk of sen- sounding cliche by by stating this, but That is my biggest goal with the podcast at the end of the day. And in fact, Brian and I were just talking about this before we started recording, how there is so much content being created at at this point. One of my biggest hesitations in creating content is that I'm adding to noise uh, and and that there are so many options that it just kind of gets lost in the mix. Fortunately, our community gives us wonderful feedback. And and so I'm going to keep going. But Brian, what are your thoughts about, especially photographers, creating so much content, posting Instagram, Facebook, and stories, and Snapchat, and doing all these things, where like, where's the balance between producing content for the sake of a, having just a presence online and creating noise?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's challenging for for us educators and and for us, you know, folks in the industry and businesses in the industry who want to add value and help and provide guidance and and show up for the community because there is a lot of noise and it's funny because over the last, you know, decade or just over a decade that I've been teaching to photographers, I've I've often said this idea and it, I think it's more relevant now than it probably perhaps ever is. Knowledge is not power because knowledge is almost cheap these days. Like it's so hmm. easy to get the insight. It's so easy to get the information. It's doing something with that information. Uh, It's acting on it. And so that idea of, you know, don't mistake uh, motion for progress or the idea of actually putting education into action. I think accountability is probably the biggest missing piece today.
0: Ooh, accountability as in like, you know, this information, what are you doing about it?
1: A hundred percent. I mean, it's so easy to just consume, right? We can listen to podcasts, we can take courses, we can go to Clubhouse, we can do this, we can do that, we can read books. But how much of that are we actually doing anything with as consumers of content? And that is, I think, um, the onus of that. Honestly, Nathan, is on us as educators. We have to show up in a different way to help people through that, to help guide people through actually implementing things instead of just leaving them inspired.
0: So there's the educator side. Then there's the hey, I just want to take wedding pictures or portrait you know, do portrait sessions and deliver great images to my clients for photographers that, and that's probably the majority of our listeners, the photographers that are of that mindset, what do you think about content? Uh, I guess, not just production, but consumption too. I mean, you mentioned clubhouse a second ago, and that's yet one other platform. You and I have talked about this offline, uh, that I, I again, my concern is that there's so much there it, how much value is actually being gotten, in the process, you know, they, cause I know people are flipping something like clubhouse on in the background and they just kind of have it playing while they're also editing, or they're also, you know, writing a blog post or they're scrolling Facebook. So they're multitasking much like they probably do with podcasts as well. I I just don't know what the balance is. And and I, I want personally to be pushing through that noise, but how do photographers make, manage that, the consumption and, uh, as well, the production of content.
1: I think they have to be really critical about how they spend their time and how they consume content because it's easy to get into that trap where we just want more and more and more apps like clubhouse tools like that workshops you know things like that conferences uh, they they feed into our fear of missing out and so if we become a victim to that as consumers of content as photographers looking to grow our business and find our space in the world and try and find ways that we can help our clients if we just are always looking for the next thing hmm. if we get sucked into that fomo then we're never really doing anything with the things we've already consumed yeah it's it's the same as like and it's funny to use this analogy now cuz it's probably not as relevant anymore but it's the same idea as like you know how many t- how many books do we all have in our in our collection of books, you know, like business books or marketing books or sales and branding books or whatever kind of book it is, self-help books. How many books do we have that, you know, we saw it at the bookstore and, and we were inspired by it. We loved it. We loved the concept. We read the dust jacket. It made a lot of sense. So we bought the book, right? We got excited about the book, but how many books do we have in our libraries that we felt inspired by when we bought the book and we took it home and we nicely placed it on the bookshelf and it's never left that spot ever since yeah <laughs> right like so many of us have audio and it may be audiobooks is a good example or, sure. or you know things like that courses that we purchase online because courses are all the the rage right now like how many times do we do we purchase or do we you know raise our hand to some opportunity to learn knowledge but you know, we don't do anything with it, and it, and the reason that that happens is a psychological reason. It's because the exact same neurons fire in our head when we buy that book, when we take that course, or when we buy the course, when we make that decision. The same neurons fire in our head when we buy that thing as we do when we actually read that thing. Hmm. So we actually feel satisfied by mm. just buying the book. Mm-hmm. We're like, I feel good. I, I, I yeah, it's great. I'll put it on the shelf, but that never actually moves a needle for us in our business because we don't actually get to consume. That information.
0: What, what do you think about the idea that, like, what if somebody were to say, "All right, fine. I, I hear what you're saying, Brian. Um, I'm going to minimize. I'm going to simplify. I'm going to focus on maybe just not just consuming, but applying the content of ten books that have thus far made the most impact in my life. Do you feel like there's there's a possibility of that business person limiting themselves by minimizing the amount of content that they're consuming, especially in an age where things are changing nonstop.
1: I mean, it's interesting. I think it's good to keep ourselves informed and up to date and making sure that we can always be moving forward because, you know, I, I like to use the analogy of, of a shark when I talk about l- growth and learning as photographers. Um, interesting fact is that sharks actually need to move in order to stay alive. Hmm. They literally ram the water and by ramming the water, it brings water into their gills and then it cycles it and then it turns into oxygen and they breathe that way. So if a shark doesn't move, it actually drowns, which is interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I think we as as people, we as business owners, um, with that growth mindset, um, moving in the right direction, moving forward and learning and growing is super important. But it's also shouldn't be mistaken for this idea of just consuming for consumption's sake. So that's where I think there is a balance. Um, I'd rather see a photographer read a book a month and do something with it than read a book a week and do nothing with it.
0: Mm. Oh, 100% agree with that. And, and to your earlier point, too, I think if we have a clear idea of what it is that we're trying to accomplish first with our personal life, who we want to be as a human being, what our value set is. If we're clear about that, it can help determine the business model that that we want to establish and run, which can naturally act as a filter for the things that we do choose to get involved with, to consume. And of course, we can choose what makes sense to apply at that point as well, because we know what our end goals are. So, uh, for those of you listening in, big picture view, this is something we talk about quite a bit here on the podcast. If you haven't established that value set and as a result, a, a business model that makes sense, that supports those values, um, that you're going to continue to function in a way that's at least somewhat haphazard, responding, reacting to stimuli from, from outside, and kind of get lost in the mix in the process. Make sure that you clearly establish that big picture view. It's super important. Uh, and this has been a really fun. Kind of introduction to our conversation, Brian. Thanks for just jumping right in with me. But I want to I want to jump to the questions here in front of me. And and the first one that we normally talk about is brand position. You actually have at least a, at least two companies, right? Sprout Studio, it's a CRM, and then you also have a, a photography business as well.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I've been a a wedding and portrait photographer for 15 years uh, here in Naira, Ontario, Canada. So I've been full time making a living as a photographer, as the sole income provider for our family for 15 years. And um, so that's sort of like, you know, where I came from. And then, you know, seven or eight years ago, I had this idea for what is now Sprout Studio to, you know, build this tool that was sort of honestly like scratching my own itch because I was feeling this pain as a photographer in the weeds. And so, you know, that's what Sprout Studio became. So I definitely spend a lot more of my time on the Sprout Studio space now because we have a big team and I'm running and managing that company. But I still have my foot in the door on the photography side because I love photography and I'll always be a photographer.
0: Well, for those of you listening in, if you want to kind of get a taste for um, Brian's involvement in, in these, both of these companies, Sprout Studio as well as Brian Capriccio Photography, um, you can go, first of all, to bcap, c-a-p-p photo, I, excuse me, b-c-a-p, bcap uh, just like it sounds. And we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes in case that was confusing. Uh, and then you can also go to getsproutstudio.com. Uh, to see to learn more about sprout we'll talk about sprout in more detail here in just a bit but talk to me about brand position as it relates to both of these companies there are crms um, in our photography industry there are certainly plenty of photography businesses i'm sure even in your local marketplace we describe what the brand positions are for each of the companies
1: yeah for sure so on the sprout studio side um crm is a really um well-known categorization (laughs) and uh, what sprout is instead of a crm is it has a crm but it's actually a more inclusive holistic studio management suite so it has a crm but it also has galleries and design proofing and bookkeeping and scheduling and email marketing and it has all the tools that a photographer needs to run a successful business Mm. in one place for them so that's um, always been my vision for sprout is to create a tool that gives photographers all the tools, not just one tool. Um, so that's the sort of differentiation and the brand positioning on the Spread Studio side. Ultimately, we exist to help creatives make a living doing what they love. And I do that because I know what it's like to make a living doing what I love because I've done it for 15 years. Yeah. And you know, my, my wife and I, we we paid off our mortgage. She's a stay-at-home mom with our three kids. She has been for seven years. We have always just had the life and the success that we've wanted and that we've designed exclusively from the money i've made with my camera wow and so i know what it's like to be an entrepreneur sort of doing the thing that you love to do and i want to help more photographers do that because i think that photographers are great photographers they're great creatives i've seen so many wonderful artistic people that have not been able to succeed in photography but it's not because a of lack of photography skill it's because of a lack of the business side and the system side. so that's why we exist
0: And so I actually I'm I'm on the homepage of your website uh, for sprout and it says studio management suite built for photographers by photographers. So pretty clear brand position statement there. And then your photography business, Brian Capricci photography, how would you define the brand position for that company?
1: So my photography has always been more of a moments um, based photography business. So as much as of course I like, you know, the sort of being able to direct on a wedding day or for a family portrait, I believe that um as consumers, as people, there are these defining moments that we all have in our lives. And I think that they're important to to bookmark. I think that they're important to encapsulate. Obviously, we look at wedding photography, and well, wedding is one of those milestones. That's a big moment in a couple's life. Yeah, probably, arguably, the biggest in their life together. But I believe that there are moments in between that are equally as important, that equally need to be underscored. Um, but often they don't give. They don't have enough breathing room in those spaces. Mm. So when it comes to family portraits, when even when it comes to weddings, sure, we have the kiss, we have the first dance, we have these big moments. That are the milestones on the wedding day that make up what you would think of being a wedding day when you zoom out and think about a wedding day. But I believe that there's so many smaller nuances, so many smaller parts and, and elements and laughters and moments that happen in people relationships that happen in between those big moments, both on a wedding day and in our lives that deserve to be documented.
0: You know, and Yo, Again, on, the, uh, well, on your website, your photography website, and in the section about weddings, you say you want more than just pictures. You want to remember the feelings you had on your wedding day. Uh, and that's a pretty great way to describe it. And in fact, that is, and it's really a great segue to my next question about customer experience. But when we talk about how to make an impact on a potential client, and then ultimately on a client's life for the sake of building a business, it really comes down to how we make them feel photographers a lot of times get obsessed with the various technical elements of photography, or even just, you know, the lightroom preset that they applied, and the style of the quote unquote style of photography that they offer. And I think, and especially in this day and age, miss out on the significance of the experience as a whole, how we make the client feel in the end. And I'm curious from your experience, both with Sprout as well as your photography business, what would you say has been one of the most impactful principles or ideas that drives that experience that helps the client feel incredible when they worked with you?
1: I think the number one most important thing that I embody in, in both of my businesses and that I, I love to teach photographers is this idea that it's not about us as photographers. Ooh, yeah. it's about It's about our clients. And so I believe that empathy needs to be the cornerstone of every successful business by thinking of our clients from their perspective, putting ourselves in their shoes and designing products, services and experiences that serve them and that are built for them. And then speaking to them about them.
0: Okay. And, and so to that end, I mean, I, I very much agree with you. And that's something else I think we chat a little bit uh, about offline. But at the same time, I know that certain photographers will push back and they'll say, but what about my brand? Like what it, I get serving a client, but there's a certain ideal that I want to live up to as a photographer, as an artist, as a business person. This is the thing that I want to offer. How can those two concepts coexist?
1: I think a lot of the times the idea of a brand is misconstrued to be all about, especially in the photography world, it's 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 you know it's all about me. It's all about the photographer. Hmm. It's all about here's who I am and here's my style and here's my vision and here's how I approach things. And that's wonderful. Certainly we're gonna have that because that's our world from our perspective. We quite literally see things from our own perspective in a in a very literal sense because that's how we see the world. Um, But a brand, I believe, especially in photography, but arguably, if you zoom out and look at any brand, it's about the impact that they can make. It's about the value that they can add to their clients' lives. So I believe a brand and then by proxy, a website and an experience that we can create for folks is more about what does this mean for you as the client? And my brand is how I can impact you as a client and the value that I can add into your lives. And so that's still very much a brand, but it's just client focused as opposed to photographer focused.
0: Yeah, and that plays in that idea, too, that Donald Miller made quite popular in his book, Building yes. a Story Brand, about making the client the hero of their story. Uh, they walk away just... I mean, I, I don't know. This is maybe a bit simplistic, but I think about when I have a good when interaction with someone. And, and honestly, with even our interaction, Brian, before we started recording today, the, the energy that you brought to the conversation, the attention that you gave me, the fact that you added value right away, I walk away from that interaction feeling good. And, and I, I think too many times it's easy. And certainly I've been guilty of this to get kind of stuck in our own heads, distracted by whatever's going on in our life, uh, or by whatever, you know, our ego is driving us to do. And we forget to the focus on helping the person on the other side of our camera or the other side of our business feel good. And it, it seems like a lot of it just centers around that particular notion. And, and when we understand our target market, then we can be even more in tune to what it is that helps that person feel good at the end of the day, how we can best serve them. Uh, I I just love that you highlight this. I think we need more conversation about it in our industry.
1: I think one of my favorite things, I, I remember early days in my career reading, obviously, one of the seminal books that I think every photographer should read, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes, And I actually took the course, Nathan. So that was actually interesting. I wow. took the full course. It was like this in-depth. It was like 20 weeks. It was super intense, and then not only did I take the course and then graduate from the course, but I then went on to teach to coach the course and i I taught it maybe three times really um, and every time it was like a a life altering experience just huh. in the way that you consume it. You know, we talked earlier about consuming content, but you're practicing it and you're held accountable to it and you're living and breathing this stuff for months on end. And and one of the things that stuck out to me as it relates to the conversation that we're having here is this notion of being a good listener and showing interest in other people. I mean, Mm. they're simple concepts, but really that's what Don Miller talks about, right? When he talks about, you know, this whole hero and the hero's journey and all this. Yeah. It's really just about being there and caring for other people and showing genuine interest in other people. And I think it's so easy to lose sight of that because we're all busy. We all want to, you know, have our moment in the spotlight. We all want to have our moment to share our opinion. I see it in clubhouse every day, you know, when I'm in there and people are just kind of like itching to unmute themselves to share their opinion. And sure. That's (laughs) great. We all want to be heard because that's a basic human need. We want to be heard. absolutely. But if we remember it now from everyone else's perspective, they also want to be heard so if you give them that opportunity to be heard mm. you're now adding value and enriching their lives
0: you mentioned the idea of being busy and and um, we spent a lot of time here on the podcast talking about the significance of well really ultimately how we develop freedom for ourselves as business owners because i personally don't want to be in business working 60 80 hours a week and not have a life really largely the reason that i'm in business for myself is the freedom the flexibility that i can have i can be my own boss and yet it's easy to kind of get sucked into being a business owner of businesses, owner of businesses, and and ultimately miss out on that freedom, that flexibility. It takes away from relationships and in many cases even takes away the busyness, takes away from focusing on things that will actually make a difference in our business in the first place. What would you say maybe is the, the most significant um, principle or idea that you have implemented in your day-to-day life that has enabled you to have more free time, especially for the sake of your family, but for yourself, uh, for others, how do you find that amidst these businesses?
1: The topic of busy is like probably one of my favorite conversations. And it's funny because, oh yeah, it's, you know, 12 years ago, actually one of the first times that I ever actually taught photographers, I gave a talk and I created this whole talk and this whole paradigm called the lie of busy. And what I did then, which is interesting, I won't get into it now, but we can, I'll, I'll touch on it just to share and then I can give you the link if you want to check it out. Yeah. Um, I, I went in and I actually interviewed who I deemed as being the experts on life at the time, which was some folks at an old age home. And so I went in there and I just had some honest conversations and, and we recorded it on video um, asking them. You know what they might change about their their work life, or what it meant to be busy to them, or how they perhaps perceive you know work life balance in in today's day and age. And again, this is twelve years ago; it's probably gotten gotten worse. But this is twelve years ago, and some of the conversations that we had, Nathan, and some of the some of the things that these folks were telling me, um, we we put this into a video, and we added some you know some music and some titles and things like that. And I use that to sort of catapult this side brand, this this paradigm that I've now taught, uh, I've, gosh, I don't know, 30, 40 times wow. um, all about the live busy, redefine busy. But to, anyways, I, I digress <laughs> to, to get to the actual question. I think one of the biggest things um, that, I, that I researched and came up with then and I still live by it now is creating these guardrails around your time. I think that's really important. Uh, it sort of, you know, speaks to the to the principle of Parkinson's law which says tasks will expand to the time that we allow them to. Um, but by building these boundaries, by building these limits into our time, both on both on a macro level like or like, you know, both zooming out and saying, "Hey, no, I'm going to start at 9 and I'm going to finish at 5." I'm actually one of those weird guys. I love like a nine to five. I love to like start at nine, finish at five. The family knows it. I yeah. know it. We're good to go. Yeah. And it works for me. It, I, I've got three kids. I've got a wife, um, especially now in COVID I'm working from home. So having those kinds of expectations, I think are really important. So having those kinds of guardrails around my time, both on that big picture perspective, but then even zooming in and saying, what does my day look like and what is my circadian rhythm? When do I work well? Hmm. What kinds of tasks fit well into my own way of being my own zones of focus as I go and weave in and out of a day. So I know for me, Afternoons are great for collaboration and for conversation. Yep. You and I are having this conversation. We started it at whatever it was, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I scheduled that on purpose because I love collaborating in the afternoon. Mm. I cannot sit and focus. I can't write. I can't edit. I can't do those things that in, that require me to sit and be focused in the afternoon. I just know that about myself. Yeah, yeah. So I put these guardrails around my time. I slot out. I do this thing called um, uh, time chunking yes. where I basically say, like, this is the time of the day where I'm working on this. And I schedule these things out into my day as if they're appointments with myself. And that's always been a principle that I've just followed for you know 15 years. And it works really well. And it lets us get so much more done with our time, feel more accomplished, and actually move the needle properly in our businesses
0: delegation plays a massive role in time management as well. And I, I know that that's a natural part of your life, especially running a team, running a company like Sprout. But talk to me a little bit about that experience. And actually, what I, what I really like to pick your brain about, because despite having helped run Photographer's Edit now for about 13 years, uh, I'm still learning so much about the significance of delegation and more specifically communication Uh, In the process of delegation, you know, we talk about the idea of outsourcing or delegating editing work, or administrative work or accounting or website design or album design, any of these things. At the end of the day, that can't happen effectively without communication and good communication at that. Talk to me about what you've learned about communication in this process of delegation.
1: Yeah, I think there's so much in our daily lives um, that we that we need to be critical about, that we need to be thinking about and putting on the chopping block to understand. Um, number one, does it need to get done? <laughs> sure. Number two, um, is there is there a way to automate it or kind of get it off of our own, get it out of our own hands? um while while keeping it in house. And then number three, can we just outsource it? Can we delegate it? Can we send it off to someone else who's maybe better served to do that for us? Now in doing that, I, I do agree, Nathan, that like, you know, communication and expectations and you know making sure that everything is aligned in that process of delegation is really really important. You know, I I look at, for example, you know what you do, and you know a lot of photographers will think about something like outsourcing their editing, and maybe they try it once, or maybe they even just heard of somebody who tried it once, and maybe they just basically said, "Hey, here's a Lightroom catalog. I need these images edited from this wedding," and then there's zero communication, there's zero expectations, there's zero conversation about yeah. what that actually means, yep. and so then the photographer gets it back, and they're like yeah no it didn't it, it wasn't good that wasn't how I edited it what's well, like well of course it's not how you would edit it because a they' are not you B you didn't set any kind of expectation with right, them right. and you didn't have a conversation about it so I think those kinds of things will then sour that photographer from ever trying that again when in reality and this is a big thing I, I'm a huge proponent of this notion of like having an intrinsic uh, this this our own ownership. Um, you know, our own locus of control, an internal locus of control. Hmm. You know, th- our results are our own fault, and I love that as a construct because that example right there it's really easy to be like, Yeah, well, you know, photographers edit, they didn't do it the way I would do it, so therefore, I'm never going to use them again. But let's look at that a different way and say, well, what did I do that maybe the expectation was misaligned? Hmm. What did I do where there wasn't communicated clearly? Yeah. Now, how can I approach that differently? How can I take ownership on this and perhaps make that a better situation next time? And I think that when we take that kind of you know internal locus of control and we say, no, I'm in control of my own results, and when we do that, all of a sudden, you know, we can we can get marvelous results from these kinds of relationships. So I think that photographers that are going to delegate and outsource or look at bringing in partners and collaborators into their lives to help them move their business and their life in the right direction. If you don't do that, if you don't collaborate, if you don't set communication uh, you know, policies and boundaries and guardrails, if you don't align yourself on expectations, then you're just setting yourself up for a failure.
0: Talk to me about a favorite book. Uh, and, and I know we've mentioned a couple already, and I, am actually really curious where you're going to go with this, maybe even two or three, your top two or three self-help books, business books that come to mind that have made the biggest impact in your life.
1: Oh gosh. I mean, it's so funny because the two we've talked about, I probably would say are the two (laughs) are my two favorites. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so I mean, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. I think if, if anyone, um, hasn't read that in the last year, read it. If you've never read it, read it yesterday. If you've read it. Read it again. Like it's <laughs> it's just it's such a foundational book yeah, to just yeah. hu- to to the human condition and to into relationships, and that's that's the business that we're all in as photographers, right? Is is the relationship business? So it's such a great read. Um, Dale Carnegie has another uh, lesser-known book called "How to Stop Worrying and Start Living," and I love that book too. That's a really fantastic read, um, and it gives tools on how to better handle. Uh, mindset and okay. you know stress and overwhelm and the things that kind of are thrown at us in our daily lives and i think it's interesting cuz the book was probably written like i don't know 30 40 years ago wow. um, and think about the time that it was written then and the kinds of stresses and the kinds of you know tasks that we all were were dealing with then yeah. very different than the distraction and the stress and the overwhelm that we live today nathan like in our daily lives Yet, interestingly enough, the principles are just as relevant. And so that's, that's a fantastic read that I would definitely highly recommend. And then I think Donald Miller's Building a Story Brand is really just like it's a, it's a great study on this. And, and, and the way that he puts it is just so beautiful and elegant and very clear on you know how to build a business that succeeds, which is this notion of putting our clients at the center of the story.
0: And I have to say, too, that for anybody wanting to read a business book, I, I'm just a huge fan of, of Donald Miller. I've read I don't know how many business books over the years. Uh, but when it comes to his writing style, there's just so much actionable information and a, a relatively minimal amount of fluff. Normally, reading a business book, it's, you get like 80% fluff and 20% good stuff, actionable stuff. It feels (laughs) like, and, and he's just, he's reversed that. It's such a simple, clear style of writing. Right now I'm reading uh, marketing made simple, another book Mm. that he wrote. And thus far it's been just, it's wonderful. It's easy to read, easy to follow. You can't help but miss the things, the very specific things that you're supposed to then go do. Speaking of, of acting on information and I mean, I just I just love it. Um, I, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People years ago, and to your point, probably warrants another read, but How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, I, I don't even know if I'd heard of that before. So we'll link to that in the show notes as well. How to Win Friends and Influence People has actually um, been one of the most, probably one of the most mentioned books here on the podcast in almost 500 episodes, and it's part of a collection of books. For those of you listening in, if you go to bokehbookshelf.com, B-O-K-E-H, um, there is a collection of the most popular books here on the, on the show. If you're looking for a reference for your next read, that's a great place to go. We'll link to that in the show notes as well at BocaPodcast.com. But I'm going to keep going, Brian. Um, we, we've got a, um, an interesting topic to dive into today. You know, COVID and, and its fallout has been discussed ad nauseum. And, and I know that most people are probably tired of hearing about it. So we're not going to talk a whole lot about how it's affected our businesses. Uh, as much as maybe what we're walking away with as a result of the experience. Um, and there was a quote that I just saw the other day from Einstein. It says, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. And and I know that COVID, we didn't create COVID, COVID happened to us. But I think what it ended up doing was highlighting certain weaknesses, shortcomings potential for opportunity, however you want to phrase it, um, in our businesses. And um, there's opportunity here to move in a better direction. But I'm curious, why do you think it's easy for us as humans to stay in our comfort zone, avoid change, despite like horrendous experiences like COVID? Um, the obvious indication that we need to do something different. What, why do you think it is that we stay there a lot of times?
1: I think it's because it's familiar, it's comfortable, we know it, it's status quo, like change is something that most human beings are not great at coping with. Um, And in fact, to add to the specifically to this conversation to add to the to the bookshelf there. Who moved my cheese? Um, by Spencer Johnson. Ooh, okay. Fantastic book. Okay. Fantastic read. Nice little quick anecdote, all about change and talking about how change, uh, you know, shows up in our lives and how we can adapt to change. But you know, this this notion of of change and the impetus for change. Um, I love to use this. Apparently, I have all the sea creature analogies today. But uh, <laughs> the the analogy of lobsters. So lobsters actually um, are a a soft creature that lives inside of a hard shell, right? And so when a lobster is growing, it's the creature inside the shell that grows. The shell itself does not grow. And so as soon as a as a lobster starts to grow and become bigger, it gets tight in its shell. It starts mm. to outgrow its shell and mm-hmm. it needs to it needs to rid itself of the shell. So it crawls itself underneath a rock. It's called this process called molting. And it literally like, you know, cracks the shell off of itself and then it stays under the rock to, you know, be safe from predators and grows a new hard shell on the outside. And then there's this new hard shell that's bigger than the old hard shell. And that is how a lobster quite literally grows. If it didn't, it would just, it would die because it outgrows the shell that it has. And the interesting thing about that is the, the impetus for change is growth. You know, like this, this notion of, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable in order for this lobster to grow in order for this lobster to actually go into this next season, it's going to feel uncomfortable. And it needs to grow. It needs to change. And so is the case for us as human beings. I mean, in order for you to see and realize and move and grow. As a human being, as a entrepreneur, as a creative, as a photographer, it's going to be uncomfortable first. Growth does not happen inside the comfort zone, so I think COVID kind of just sort of underscored that a little bit. You know, it's obviously very uncomfortable. We're in a space that is uh, is unknown to us. We've never, we haven't navigated this space before, and so because of that, the, the lack of familiarity. Um, pretty much everything is going to be new. It's all going to be changed for us.
0: But I think a lot of times the reason why, I mean, even again, despite a situation like COVID, and of course we could list a million other ways that we have experienced trauma or challenging times in our lives or in our businesses, a lot of times the reason why we don't change because of it or despite that experience is that the potential pain that we're kind of projecting on this experience of change seems greater than remaining where we are, despite the pain that we just experienced functioning in that way. It's, it's a weird, almost contradiction, it seems. Um, you talked about the significance of comfort. We stay what, with what we know, despite the possibility that it may shoot us in the foot later on, despite the fact that on the other side of a little bit of uncomfort in the process of change, we could have so much more as an individual, as a business owner. It, it's it, it, I don't know. It, it's an interesting, almost dichotomy in that, we make the choice to stay where we are, despite the reality that we just realized um, that, well that- and
1: the, the interesting thing about that is like there's there's two core human motivations and and you know a lot of the decisions that we make as human beings is to either seek pleasure or avoid pain, yeah, but the interesting thing about that is is the desire to avoid pain is about ten times more motivating than the desire to seek pleasure, so when we 're looking at something like change right? We often have that little, that little tingle in the back of our neck, those insecurities, those fears, those things that we might associate with. Yeah, but there's, there's a bit of a risk associated to that. There could be some pain there. Yeah. So we'd rather have the pain that we're currently living in than the potential, which almost never happens, the potential for this pain by seeking change.
0: And so the cycle seems to
1: continue. I, I, I don't know. Do you Do
0: you, what's one way before we Talk about specific ways or specific changes you feel photographers um, maybe need to to. I guess the change that photographers need to make in their business, especially coming out of COVID, what what is a way that photographers can step beyond that uncomfort even just to get the ball rolling slowly in the right direction?
1: So there's two there's two ways I, I like to kind of look at this. or two I guess tools that I, that I've used. come. Okay. Um, to address this, um, number one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this as we're talking because I want to make sure I get the name of the book right. Um, it is the not the art of war. It is the war of art. I always mix those two up. <laughs> so the the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. Yeah. Um. Again, another book for the bookshelf. Um. But he talks about this um, this notion of fear and how fear is paralyzing. And yet at the same time, how oftentimes the greatest successes lie on the other side of fear. Mm -hmm. And almost every time that we're met with fear and we push through fear, it's never as bad as we think that it was. And success lies there, but we need to push through that fear first. So he talks a lot about this notion of like, and I guess this is the second point, do it, but do it scared do it but do it afraid. So he basically says, you know, if you can push past fear, fear is just our subconscious's way of putting this last roadblock in the way before we reach that success, before we get to that sort of, you know, summit, hmm. before we achieve the thing that we want to achieve, fear is just this final check that says, are you sure? Are you <laughs> sure you want to do it? And and most of us Succumb to that. Most of us give into that and we never push past it. So we never realize that full potential. Mm. But what he talks about in that is, again, just remembering these past experiences that we probably all have, or we do all have, where, you know, the last time this fear came up, you know, was it actually as bad? as we thought it was. That's one tool that could be like, let's minimize that fear a little bit because we're probably being a bit dramatic in our heads about it. But the second tool that I love again, which is this notion of, you know what, I know that nothing happens inside that comfort zone. So I know that if fear comes up, it's just an indication of moving in the right direction. So if I feel that, that tingle on the back of my neck, if I, if I understand and acknowledge that fear that's there, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I'm gonna do it scared. And it's okay to do it scared. And I'll do it. And then almost every single time I'll look back and be like, what was I scared of again? I actually don't even remember what the heck that was. <laughs> so that's those are just some some interesting ways to look at fear and look at these these negative thoughts that could oftentimes derail us or cloud our judgment. Um, let's kind of look at them as the as the objective tools that our brain give us to, you know, help us avoid these. <laughs> He's like, you know, these old school things of like, hey, there's a tiger around the corner if we leave our if we leave our cave. It's yeah. like we're not we're not running away from tigers anymore. These <laughs> ancestral thoughts that we have that are just wired into our brain, um, they don't they don't serve us in today's world. Yet they still exist as tools that our brain will use. So let's kind of push them aside, or just be okay to push through them.
0: Well, to that end, then let's talk about change. I mean, Again, if, if we expect to continue to grow COVID or not, but certainly coming out of COVID, we have to learn to think differently. And I'm curious if you would share with our listeners a few ways you feel photographers could maybe think just a little bit differently coming out of COVID for the sake of growing, not just personally, but ultimately growing their business.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a few. And, and a lot of these kind of get down to, to, you know, tactical, like let's get into the weeds and talk about some of these fun things. Uh, we talked earlier about this notion of, you know, being empathetic as business owners, as service providers, as experience creators. And I think just driving with empathy and leading with empathy and thinking of our clients is going to be something that's almost a non-negotiable moving forward. I, I'd argue it's always been the case, or at least it's been the case for a long time. But I think that for a while, you know, perhaps pre-COVID, photographers were able to get away with the sort of hero syndrome to be like, no, 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 it's your, it's your privilege to do business with me. But (laughs) I think, I think that now, you know, during and post COVID, it's, it's almost like, no, we fast tracked five years, we need to be thinking about serving others, and thinking about how we can show up, um, you know, for our clients. So that's one notion, or that's one sort of concept that I think is really important. Another one that I think is going to be really, really foundational is this notion or this idea of diversifying our revenue. You know, mm-hmm. how do we as photographers, what does that box look like? You know, if I were to say, Nathan, like, hey, you're a wedding photographer, how do you make money? Well, I take pictures at people's weddings and then they pay me money for it (laughs) so that's like the typical box that defines a wedding photographer and i think that not only do we need to be thinking outside of that in the sense that you know what let's stop calling ourselves wedding photographers let's stop calling ourselves newborn photographers it's okay to be a photographer (laughs) Mm. And we can do more than just one thing in this art and craft of what we do as photographers. So so I think diversifying in that aspect is going to be important to kind of break out and stop thinking about things as hyper-niching in specific spaces. But then even outside of that, like what other skill sets do we have? What other skill sets do you um, embody as a professional photographer in which you might be able to serve your industry that you might be able to serve your market yeah. you know can you help out local restaurants with their social media can you get involved and start doing headshots for local influencers is there you know I, I could we could go on forever that was all what we talked about in this first aid course that we taught but just thinking outside of that box and starting to get creative about what revenue means to us as photographers i think is going to really help guide some better decisions
0: Okay. And so let me circle back around because I think you have a third point you're going to share too, but I want to, I want to jump back before we get to that. You, you talked about the significance of, or really the need for an increased amount of empathy. G- give me something a little bit more tangible as far as what that would look like on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you're right. And certainly I've been guilty of it too. Our get in getting away a lot of times and, and, um, we prop ourselves up internally and sometimes externally as the photographer Uh, the reality is that we're, we're here to, to serve. I mean, if we want to create an incredible experience for our clients, that needs to be the focus at the end of the day. Certainly if we want to do so in a way that's going to be fulfilling all the way around, what does it look like to increase the amount of empathy that we're implementing in our businesses?
1: So I'll give, um, two examples, um, Example number one, and I see this all over the place right now um, and, and in 2020 in the Facebook groups and in the clubhouse rooms and those kinds of things where photographers were like, oh, you know, like, I can't believe, you know, shaking their fists. I can't believe that my client wants to reschedule again, like. Don't they know that I have expenses as a business? Don't they know that I've got this? Like, yeah. how dare they? I should charge them a cancellation fee. Like we had this mentality and so many folks had this mentality mm. of, of being at odds, being on opposite sides of the table, fighting against our clients. And and I've seen it in times past. It's like, oh, can you believe this client posted, you know, my pictures on Instagram and added a filter to it? Like we kind of have this mentality of this, this combative um, thought process of where, where we pit ourselves against our clients. And so that as an example, I said, let's, instead of having this thing between us Mm. that we're fighting over, why don't we actually both go shoulder to shoulder and fight for it? Let's work together with our clients. Let's work. And that's where I say acting with empathy. Let's put ourselves in our client's shoes and say, Hey, let's hold hands. How do we work through this together? Because we're all human beings. We're all working through this together. Our clients couldn't have predicted what happened in 2020. It's right. not their fault. Yeah. I couldn't imagine being a couple planning my wedding in 2020. I mean, that would be the most stressful thing I can imagine. So, for us to have this um, argumentative, this you know, uh, this this combative attitude, I don't think is productive for our clients. It's not productive for our businesses. So that's just an example, I guess, of this of this shift that I think we really need to start embodying of showing up in service of our clients and remembering that our clients are what enable us to do the thing that we love. If we didn't have them, we wouldn't be able to do this thing that we love. It would just be a hobby. And so treating them with that level of respect and care. And again, empathy, I think is probably the most important thing that we can do.
0: I have to play devil's advocate here though too, because you you know you're going to get pushback from some who are like, well, yeah, but I, I'm struggling too. It's COVID. I'm I'm not making a lot of money. I need to get that money that that was promised me. It's in the contract. And and this idea that they're expecting something for nothing or that we're just going to write it off altogether. I mean, I can hear the arguments playing there and and at least some of them are fair. How would you respond to a photographer that's saying those kinds (laughs) of things?
1: Yeah, I mean I'm not advocating for the notion of, you know, just kind of being a pushover and and not being, you know, like not not being able to pay your own bills. I get that too sure. for sure. But I just think it's more in the intent, it's in the approach, it's in the tone, it's Got in it. the way that a photographer approaches it with this like very um, confrontational attitude yes. where it's like I, I've always been the opinion Nathan too and this is this is the thing like look I'm I'm a I'm a business guy I love the business side um, I you know believe it's so important to have contracts to do these things but I have for 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 a decade now as I've been teaching photographers I, I've always said like if you have to pull a contract out and slap your clients in the face with it you've done something wrong You know, like there, there are human ways Hmm. to talk with our clients. I'm not saying we don't have the contracts, we've got to have them. And honestly, sometimes, sometimes I guess I'll go back on my word there. Sometimes, you got to just get the contract out and slap them in the face. I mean, it is, it is, it is what, if they're being unreasonable, if you've, sure. if you've used other tools in your relational tool belt and, and you're just not getting anywhere. Okay. At some point that makes sense. But I think that too often, and especially I saw in 2020 photographers started with that. They started with that like approach yeah. and, and sure. And again, here's the thing those tools contracts exist and and they're going to get you what you want like what you're fighting for yep you know what you're you're damn right that is a non-refundable deposit like you they are you're not getting it back sure. no matter what you do right so good you're going to get what you want but imagine the, the 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 bad will imagine the word of mouth imagine the relationship that now gets tarnished because of that and again mm. i'm not saying i'm not here saying that like you know it is what it is. we have bills to pay. I get it. I understand that, but if you then destroy your business in the process of paying your short term bills, that's not productive either. So that's just where I say there just needs to be a level of that empathy of just not jumping to that you know smacking the client with a contract in their face just as an example. you
0: mentioned this the importance of diversifying revenue and and the thing that you said that caught my attention and I'd love to get your take on this is. Hey maybe we don't have to be specialists or be so specific in stating the you know the one genre of photography that we're willing to offer as a business uh, again just kind of playing devil's advocate what about the significance of specialization as it as a means to stand out in a super super busy marketplace how do you how do you stand out if you're just another photographer
1: I think the notion of um specializing is often perhaps misconstrued in in the idea of of needing to to do only one thing okay you know what i'm saying like so i love the idea of if you're a photographer and you you have a unique vision you have a unique eye you have a unique way of of storytelling and of seeing the world and of servicing your clients you can do that no matter who's in front of the camera, you know, like whether whether it's a couple in front of the camera or a family in front of the camera, if you mm. see the world, if you can, you know, can predict moment, if you can direct a certain way uh, from opposing perspective, if you can light a certain way, if you have a certain aesthetic, whatever the case is, you can do that for, for more than one kind of thing in front of the camera. Mm. And so that's where I believe... It sometimes gets misunderstood, right? Where photographers are like, no, 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 this is what I love. It's like, that's cool. Do what you love. I'm not saying be a chameleon. I'm not saying that you have to just all of a sudden be everything to everyone. Okay, But instead, understand your vision, understand your voice, understand your approach as a photographer, but be a little bit open to perhaps who's on the other side of the lens. Because then you can all of a sudden turn into being someone's photographer for life. And that's the process that I love. That's the process. And I've, again, been doing this for 15 years in the sense that like, I've, I've now, you know, followed folks through their journey of getting engaged to getting married, to having kids to now, you know, their kids are like going into high school and it's just really neat and beautiful to be able to have been a part of that journey for them. And yes, it's been great from a relationship standpoint for me. I, I I'm filled up by those kinds of relationships, but from a business standpoint, I've now had that client as a repeat client. They've booked me for 10 sessions over the years and so the revenue opportunity there i mean we we all know that we have to work a lot harder to get new business than we do to have repeat business and i'm not saying that you're gonna go after couples that you know we're gonna they're gonna break up and then have another wedding but i mean have more business from the same kinds you know from the same clients in other spaces so that'd be my thought there is i is i think that the idea and the education and this is again we're all point more of the fingers at the education space. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I won't be, I won't be a, a fan favorite by doing this, but you know, we as educators, um, have been talking about specializing have been teaching this idea of like, you know, do one thing, do one thing really well, only do this one thing for this one kind of client. They drive this, they go to this gym, they go to this restaurant, they live in this area. They have these kinds of friends. They feel these kinds of ways. Like we've been talking about that. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about your ideal client, but I'm saying that that's been taught as the be all and end all. Mm -hmm. And if you peel back the sort of layers there, couple of things number one a lot of the folks who are teaching that are not doing it anymore because they're teaching it <laughs> they're teaching more than they're doing which yeah. is a whole other side note yeah but number two is even those that can find success doing that hyper which i think is wonderful and there are folks who can do it there are some some fantastically successful photographers who have found uh, and built a great business model off of hyper specializing, but I think that for every one of those photographers, there is a hundred who can't do it. It's almost like trying to get in the NBA. You know, there is a lot of people that want to get there, and there is a lot of really great basketball players, but you know, very few actually make it to the big leagues. And I think that's also equally true in this conversation here.
0: Well, and I am thinking too as you are describing the the way that a photographer might think a little bit differently in this regard, instead of hyper-focusing on one particular genre or some sub- subset of a genre of photography. Think more about, and I know I keep going back to this, but more what they're what they're out to do as a business owner, kind of on a big picture level. What, what are the values that I want to represent with this business? What is it that I'm trying to accomplish on a bigger picture level as an individual? Um, and as a result, what is that business model I'm bringing or that I'm creating here? And that can be represented, or it could be multiple businesses for that matter, that support this notion. Just as maybe a small example for myself, um, I do have my individual values, but ultimately those play into two of the most important things to me right now as as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's starting different brands and companies. And they center around time and relationships, saving people time and encouraging happier relationships. And of course, a lot of times more time has, can, can certainly help make for happier relationships, but the, the companies that I'm involved in, the podcasts that I'm involved in, um, sometimes I think people get a little bit confused because I'm talking about all these different things, all these different brands, all these different activities that I'm involved in, but at the end of the day, it, it centers around those two ideas, supporting those two ideas giving people more time, encouraging happier relationships. And so that's that's where I'm coming from as a business owner. And what that means is that I'm not stuck to just one thing. I can do so many different things as an entrepreneur that support those big ideas. And so I'm wondering, is that the kind of idea that you're talking about here that we focus on kind of bigger picture ideas and use photography, whatever genre it might be as a vehicle to serve those bigger ideas?
1: A hundred percent, yeah. That's a hundred percent spot on Nathan. Like it's like we have these beliefs, we have these these pieces within us that that are our unique view on the world. And we all have something unique. We can all bring something beautiful to the table what I love about this is it has nothing to do with photography, right? Mm. Like, if you think about this, it's like the way that I see the world is different, Nathan, than how you see the world, which is different than how the listener right now sees the world. And whether or not they've been in business for 10 years or 10 days, they have a unique vision. They have something beautiful that they can bring to the world. Photography can be a vehicle for that, but so can a thousand other things. But if we start looking at the creative side of photography and how we build our business, businesses to instead execute and fulfill our vision of the world and our belief system and the way that we want to serve our clients as opposed to just, you know, I want to learn the latest technique or I want to, you know, buy the latest piece of equipment or whatever the case is there. I just think that we can live such such more fulfilling lives.
0: Yeah, fulfilling and, and free too. There's a certain... Excitement, at least for me, anyway, that comes from okay. I don't have to limit myself just to this one industry or this particular type of business. There's so many possibilities there when we're working for a bigger idea. Uh, it's exciting, and and I really appreciate you highlighting that idea. I think in closing here, though, I want to get your take on one more thing as it relates to thinking differently, especially coming out of a situation like COVID. Uh, you mentioned that that you paid off your house through your photography, which is not something that a lot of people can speak to just in general, certainly not in the photography industry. But I I wonder if on a financial level, you might have a recommendation or two as to how photographers, just based on the conversations that you've had, the experience that you have in the industry, might think a little bit differently when it comes to managing their finances to be able to, I guess, hedge from potential stressors that that many of us experienced um, in this past year.
1: Oh man, finances are such a fun conversation. <laughs> Everyone's like, hang on, they're talking money. I'm out. I'm peace. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. And I'm so, I'm so glad to, to have the the opportunity to talk about that because it is something that isn't talked about enough. I think a couple of things. I think number one, starting uh I mean, the topic of pricing is something I absolutely love. I won't get into the actual pricing conversation, but I think you know, pricing yourself appropriately and making sure that you are delivering value to your clients in a proportionate way to the prices that you charge, I think is important because that way you can be earning the revenue um, that will, you know, enable you to do the things that you want to do. Kind of what we're talking about here. So that's the first thing. Um, beyond that, I think that that. Uh, being mindful of you know budgeting and project, which I mean, just sounds so unexciting and so non sexy, but you know projections and budgeting and and ha- having you know a, a strict outlook on on what you do with your money, I just think is so important because if we otherwise have no uh, if we have no map that guides the decisions that we make and this this is true we talked earlier about customer experience we can talk about this as it relates to marketing we can talk about it really as it relates to anything but if you don't have a map that really guides the decisions that you're going to go or that you're going to make how are you going to know where you're going and when you're there hmm. and so i think when it comes to the finance side it's and, and i've seen this literally hundreds of times, I'm sure so of you. And I'm sure the listener right now has probably experienced this where, you know, we get that little, that little uptick in revenue or we get that wedding payment or we get that print order. And then we immediately start thinking, what can I buy with that? (laughs) Right. We think about how do we spend the money almost before we even have the money or we think about, Oh, the, you know, the new, the new, whatever the camera is just came out and then we start to justify why we need to buy it and i'm not saying look i'm I've got gas as much as the next the next photographer does, so I'm not here to criticize i'm right there with you guys, but I think that unless we give ourselves that the boundaries again, we talk about guardrails, we talked about them earlier with time, but if we give ourselves these guardrails around how we spend our money, then we can be a little bit more intentional about the areas that that money goes to, and also if we if we're able to zoom out from all of this, we can make more discerning. Um, judgments and more and more appropriate planning on you know how the money is actually spent. I mean, if we think about it, for example, taxes. Yeah taxes is is nothing surprising for anyone. I mean we know. I know I know I know here like in Canada when I when I collect $1000 from a client I know that I've got to collect from them $130 that I then have to turn around and give to the government. I know that that's just a reality. Like so I'm charging the client $1130. Wow. Now so many photographers take that hundred and thirty dollars they put it in their bank account and they forget about it mm. and then they forget about it and then they forget about it mm-hmm. and then a year comes down tax time comes and the tax man says hey you owe twenty thousand dollars and they say i don't have twenty thousand dollars yeah where's that money it's like well you collected it didn't you plan for it like you should you should have put it in an, in an account and kept it aside i mean same is true for income tax same is true for a lot of things i mean heck same is true for like retirement planning i mean we as photographers i mean this is a whole other topic but we as photographers I mean, we don't have a pension plan we don't have you know these these structures in place hmm. uh, we don't have a, an employer contributing to RRSPs. Um, i mean now i i talked to that because my dad's actually a financial planner so i've grown oh, wow. up in that space okay and, and and i love and understand and know that space so it's always been top of mind for me but we as photographers don't have those constructs in place so you know we shouldn't just find ourselves 30 years from now being like huh i want to retire but i have no money to retire with (laughs) so like so now what it's like those things aren't surprises we know those things so if we can just put the best put put some some guardrails put some boundaries put some processes in place to better plan for those things i think that we'll find ourselves in a better situation I love
0: the way that, that you describe the significance of a map. If you don't have a map, how do you know where you're going or when you've gotten there? Um, and I don't think I've quite heard it phrased that way before. I think that's brilliant. I'm I'm going to have to write that down on my list of quotes here after we finish. But uh, to that end, if I can throw out a couple of examples for you listening in, if, if you don't have even just, uh, it, Brian referenced that phrase kind of pulling back out, having that, again, that kind of bigger picture view, looking at it from... Um, a wide angle, if you will. Something as simple as beginning to use mint.com to, to track your spending and then ultimately to come up with a budget and, and track your spending against that budget. That's something that I would recommend, um, certainly on a personal level as well as a business level. And then also something that we've talked about quite a bit here on the podcast, QuickBooks, if, if you don't have financial management software in place to track income and expenses, and put together reports, not just for your accountant, but also for yourself to to develop a certain level of awareness of where you're spending money, where you're making the most money, and ultimately be able to make intelligent decisions for the sake of your business. Uh, Without these very simple kind of big picture perspectives, you're going to be very limited in what you can do financially. Um, Would you have any, even just a tip or two to throw out along with that, Brian, something that our listeners could go do right now that might make a little bit more of a difference?
1: Yeah, I I think it's really important to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. <laughs> and I've, mm. I've I've always believed in that. Both you know when I was when I were as a as a photographer, but now um, in my capacity at Sprout, having people around me who are smarter than me. But as a photographer, uh, Nathan, I always had. A financial advisor, which again, I'm very fortunate that it is my dad. But the nice thing is that with financial advisors, at least here where we are in this capacity, I don't pay a financial advisor. It's just it's it's it works out based on the investments that you're making. So you know, doing that and appropriately having someone that can guide you that knows that stuff better than you do is a really really big uh, lesson that I think we can learn from. And then besides that, I I can't underscore the importance of having a bookkeeper enough. Um, and a bookkeeper that is more of an entrepreneurial bookkeeper someone that can you know help almost be like your CFO in your photography business mm. and so I've never I've never in 15 years, opened QuickBooks. I don't know the first thing about QuickBooks because I've always surrounded myself with a bookkeeper and an accountant and a financial advisor who know that stuff better than I do and who can plan for that stuff better than I do. So I get my receipts. I get my invoices that get paid for my clients. I get all these things and every month I have a folder. I'm looking at it right now. I have a folder here that every month I just print out every receipt. I take every time I go to buy a meal, every piece of clothing that I buy for business, any camera that I buy, anything, any any payment I get from a client, I put it in this folder. My bookkeeper comes once a month, I say here you go. And that is the extent of my bookkeeping. And then a few weeks later, he comes back, he drops it off to me, and he gives me a report. And he says, hey, this is what the month looked like for you. This was your revenue. This was your expenses. Here's my thoughts. I think you got to be careful on this. I think you made too much here. You did this. Knowing what your income is like this, is your your income for next month going to be the same? Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? Mm. Because now we need to put a bit more aside for this. We need to be putting a little bit less aside for this. And so he'll basically be an advisor for me in my business. And I recommend... Recommend that because, you know, we're going to spend a few hundred dollars a month on something like that, which I'm not saying that that's nothing, but that is well worth the investment when you think about. A, the time it's going to save you, like yeah. what you said, Nathan, yeah. and then B, the value that it's going to add. I mean, if if my bookkeeper can set me up and help me avoid some big mistakes in my business that will cost me tens of thousands of dollars, that's a really, really good investment for me. So I would recommend just generally surrounding yourself with people with advisors who are smarter than you and can do things that you aren't able to do that you can then spend your time in your business doing the things that actually drive growth.
0: Well, speaking of people smarter than us, Brian, I I truly appreciate you sharing so much today. And and again, not just making noise to our earlier conversation, but sharing actionable information that's super practical. It really means a lot that you take the time to do that. And as we close, will you just remind our listeners, not just where they can find you, but maybe where they can learn a little bit more about Sprout and how they can apply that to their business?
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank you, uh, and thanks thanks for the opportunity. This is this is just such a, a ton of fun, and I love I love talking about this stuff with photographers and for photographers. Um, I've been very active, you know. Right now, obviously in February when we're recording this um, on Clubhouse, <laughs> I guess we'll talk in a few months and see if that's still the case. But yeah. uh, I'm I've I've been really enjoying leading uh, conversations over there. Um, but outside of that, um, you know, get is probably the best place if you want to dive a little bit more into that world i mean we have the tool which is spread studio that that can help photographers run their business but besides that on that site getsproutstudio.com we have courses we have a podcast as well we have um, educational articles we even have calculators on you know, how to price yourself. We have a calculator, which is a fun one, where you can basically punch in an opportunity that you might be considering pursuing to grow your business. Yeah. And we'll actually help you rank them to say... Hey, this is the order that you should do it based on these these variables that you've just told us. No so way. we have a bunch of tools like that, and articles and content that'll not only again give you the insight, but it'll actually you know help guide your decisions, and then hopefully hold you accountable to it. So getspreadstudio is probably the best place for that.
0: Man, that's great. Well, and, and I know that you're you're focused on adding as much value as possible there. Um, for our listeners when when you go to the site there make sure that you also go to you, you guys have a whole separate blog site don't you with a lot of um helpful information i think you were sharing this with me a little while back
1: yeah yeah so we <laughs> it's like it's a whole world over there it's like you know you go to com, and yes the the face of it is the software that is Studio. Um, but behind the scenes there again, there's like there's we've been writing educational articles for for years and years and years so there's I mean there's topics on we if you google pricing for photographers, we're like the number one article and we get thousands of views a day on that article just because it's a topic that people struggle with. so you know there's a ton of content there if you want to dig into it
0: man, that's huge okay, yeah, so for everybody listening in, just go to get getsproutstudio and you can scroll over in the navigation to community and you'll see uh, the various options there take advantage of incredible amount of value that's been added there to the site thanks again brian for for hanging out with me today
1: hey it's my pleasure thanks for having
0: me thanks so much photographers for listening to the Boca podcast will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the apple podcast app and i'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show my email is nathan at BocaPodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, PhotographersEdit.com, Custom Photo Editing for the Professional Photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.